So do you, you ladies out there still read any of those monthly women's magazines? You know, the Better Homes and Gardens and Southern Living and Women's Day. Who, who reads all those? There's a few. Okay. I think, is my mother-in-law back there? No. Um, I, I can say this because she's not here. I think my mother-in-law keeps all of them in business single-handedly uh, with all of, her, all of her subscriptions because there's an unending stream of those that comes to our mailbox uh, and since there's so many of them around, occasionally I uh, thumb through one of them, and there seems to be this, this repeated theme in their food section uh, about how to reuse leftovers and, and bring them back to the table in, in hopefully new and, and interesting ways. And that's how I kind of want to approach today, because uh, as promised, we're stepping back out of our lectionary readings, the the ones that we've been following for Eastertide and Pentecost, and we're getting back to our more intimate look at the Sermon on the Mount. And in doing that, I felt like I kind of ran into a snag this week because the section where we're picking up, actually, J.J. read in verses 13 and 14 about being salt and light. And don't mishear me. I'm not in any way comparing God's precious word on the same level as leftovers, but sometimes sermons can be leftovers, Right? And what I didn't want to do on my first Sunday back was bring you a sermon so similar to the ones that you probably heard dozens of times on this topic uh, and have you go home thinking, ah, I've heard all that before. So uh, that's kind of the preface to my attempt today with the help of the Holy Spirit to bring you those two well-used ingredients of salt and light in the Christian life and do it in a way, hopefully, that'll give you kind of a, a fresh look at those two old ingredients. So we're going to pick up uh, and do as we've been doing before Eastertide, and I'm going to read to you the text of the Sermon on the Mount uh, up to and through the section that we're covering today. Uh, and then if you missed any of the previous sermons, and sometime during the week you can go back and on the church website or on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts, and you can listen to those previous episodes and get caught up. But I hope you have your Bibles with you. Uh, it's on the screen, but it's, it's way more important that you see it in front of you in the Bible so you can take it home with you. Uh, we're going to be reading Matthew 5, uh, verses 1 through 16. So Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. And brothers and sisters, listen for the voice of the Spirit. So seeing the crowds, he, of course, meaning Jesus, went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then our text, our specific text for today. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, 
so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we come to you today with our hearts and minds just kind of scattered around like leaves on the wind, but we ask, Father, to send your Holy Spirit now to focus our thoughts, to still our anxious fears. And Father, we ask that you to gather us now, Lord, as we come in prayer before you, and ask you this morning, Lord, to let us see Jesus in the reading and the hearing and the preaching of your word, and we ask it in his name. Amen. And so in coming to this section on the Sermon on the Mount, most of the sermons that, I, that I've heard on it before, and maybe you have too, and many of the commentators that I looked at this week suggest that the Sermon on the Mount in starting out with the Beatitudes is dealing primarily, not exclusively, but primarily with the personal actions and reactions of believers and that then when we get to verse 13, that Jesus changes the focus more on the role of believers and that role that they play in the lives of the wider community. And, and that idea goes something like this, is that the Beatitudes are about our personal spirituality and about learning the true meaning of poverty of spirit and appropriate meekness of heart, the merits of eternal hunger and thirst for righteousness. And, and then the message shifts to the role that Christians play in the lives of others. And that's not wrong. So, so don't go home today thinking I'm undermining all the other sermons you might have heard in this passage. Don't, don't send any, Joe me any salty emails to the office about me switching things up a little. Uh, but, but just for the sake of this thought experiment today, what, what if, what if at least to some degree the admonition about being salt and light was intended to be used just as individually and personally first as all of the Beatitudes before it were? Just think about that for a minute. What, what if in our journey of personal sanctification where Jesus' Sermon on the Mount challenges us to be spiritually poor, meek, merciful, pure-hearted peacemakers who end up persecuted for righteousness' sake, what if it's also calling us to apply those ingredients of salt and light to clean up what's in here, what's in the heart first, and then use them to refresh and enlighten and sanitize all the leftovers of our old selves that we've been hanging on to like that old jar of mayonnaise you just can't seem to bring yourself to throw away. Or if you're like my wife, that questionable bag of salad greens, you think, no, nah, I can still salvage that. No, that, that, that stuff's got to go. But which I think there was a clue to why our Lord says today, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? No longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You probably remember this. The most important purpose for salt in the ancient world was to act as a preservative. Because without refrigeration, meat would spoil quickly. But salt could be used to draw the moisture out and allow the meat to last longer. And so the normal takeaway here is that as believers were to act as preservatives preventing the world from going bad by having a positive influence on those around us, and that rather than to withdraw from the world, we're to be engaged with it and making it a, a different place by our presence. But I want you to think for a minute, how can we possibly do that if we're still corrupt on the inside? Right? The same question that our Lord was posing to the Pharisees when he says later in Matthew 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes, and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees first clean the inside of the cup and plate, 
that the outside also may be clean. And woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Because you see, you know, just like you can't cook healthy, nourishing food with dirty pots and moldy utensils or scrub out the refrigerator with filthy, dirty water, we can't be any kind of benefit to humanity as a church or as individuals if we're still all fouled up and full of garbage on the inside. The Apostle Paul puts it like this when he said, should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin go on living in it? And when I got to that passage, it made me kind of think, it reminded me of those hoarders shows. You know, have you seen those? You ever watch those? You know, where, where some of these folks have these, these big, potentially beautiful homes, but they prefer instead to live in the, the dirt and the leftover detritus of, of just decades of trash collection. And so they just go right on living in it, even to the detriment of their own personal health and safety, until ultimately what it takes is something, or I guess I should say what it takes is someone outside of themselves to step in and shine the light of truth on the darkened rooms of their circumstances. But brothers and sisters, that's exactly what the light of the gospel does for you and me. That's what it does for our sin-choked hearts and for our stubborn wills until they are as cleansed and brightened by the presence of Jesus. You know, because just like the ingredients of, of salt can be used to clean and purify, the use of light purifies and removes stains too. You guys might know this. You probably know this, that sunlight can remove stains from soiled fabric. I know, again, reference to my mother-in-law, if she were here, uh, I've seen her dozens of times hang out, you know, those tablecloths that are gravy stained in the sunlight to remove that stubborn spot until it's what she calls sun bleach, right? But not only does sunlight remove stains, it also purifies. It was back in 1877, it was discovered that sunlight actually kills bacteria. Two English scientists by the name of Downs and Blunt discovered by chance that leftover sugar water placed on a windowsill turned cloudy in the shade, but it remained clear in the sun. And on examination of the two solutions, they realized that bacteria was growing in the shaded one, but not on the one exposed to the sunlight. And we know now that's because of the ultraviolet rays of the light spectrum that produced that result. But for our purposes this morning, just as the light of the sun purifies and removes physical stains and kills all kinds of little nasty little microscopic critters in the same way our Lord Jesus, whom the Bible calls the light of the world, removes the spiritual sludge and stains of our sin-sick souls. It's the reason Isaiah 118 says, Come now, let us settle this, says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, I'll make them as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, I will make them as white as wool. And so, brothers and sisters, even though sin has stained our lives as, as red as a white dinner napkin used to clean up a spilled glass of wine, the light of Jesus can shine in our hearts and cleanse and renew and forgive us as we submit to him as our Lord and Savior. Uh, so that our souls are purified and our consciences are cleansed from guilt. Uh, and I don't know about you, but I need that every day. Amen, somebody? Because we, we know that even after we become Christians, the continued cleansing of Jesus is still a necessity. 
It's a necessity because even though we strive to obey His will, we stumble and sin from time to time, don't we? Like we talked about in 1 John this morning, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And to do as, as, as God's revelation shows us the way out of darkness into light, the way out of sin into righteousness, out of gloom into hope, out of misery into joy, and out of the kingdom of Satan into the kingdom of Christ, uh, and out of all of those old leftovers of our former lives into becoming the person that God had planned for us to be so that we don't waste the rest of the time that God still has for us on this planet. Uh, and brothers and sisters, a lot of Christians are doing that. And that's a shame. And so I want to encourage us this morning to, to stop doing that, to stop wasting the lives and the opportunities that God has so graciously given us and get to work. And I'll tell you why. It's because it's the whole reason that you and I are still here. It's regardless of your age or your ethnicity or your physical health or your financial state or whatever public station you find yourself in, brothers and sisters, you were saved for a purpose. And a big part of that purpose is on this side of the grave. And we need to start living like that's true. I, we said this in Sunday school. It's the reason why, you know, you don't get saved and then just magically disappear into heaven, as great as that would be, right? Wouldn't it be great to come to the Lord and you just automatically get assumed into heaven? No, but we're called into the kingdom, and then we're called to actually accomplish something for it. That's why Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, so that we should do them if we feel like it. Is that what it says? No, so that we should walk in them, right? Walk in those good works that God has already prearranged for us to notice and to step into with lives that have been salt scrubbed by his word and that have been brightened by the truth of the gospel and the reality of Christ's vicarious substitutionary sacrifice on our behalf so that we can be vessels fit for his holy use before we ever even step out our front doors. Just like we read in 2 Timothy 2 that, Beginning in verse 20, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he'll be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. And so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And folks, a pure heart, not because we're naturally pure within ourselves or because of our own merit, but only because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because the God who justifies us also sanctifies us. One commentator put it like this. He said, the faith that justifies also satisfies. Satisfies the human heart and frees us from the deceptive satisfactions of sin and so that's why justification and the process of sanctification, he says, always go together. And I would just add to that that they not only go together, but they have got to precede any attempt that we would make to do ministry to anyone else. And the reason for that is you can't give someone something you don't have. You can't serve out of an empty bowl. 
You can't get light out of a lamp that has no oil. And so we need to get serious about our own personal sanctification if we're ever going to hope to win the world for Christ and to begin the process of rebuilding Christendom. And Lord willing, not just become fodder to be trodden underfoot or to be a snuffed out old candle. And you may be thinking right now, okay, Pastor, I'm kind of, I'm kind of following you, but how exactly did we accomplish any of that? Well, the good news is that the means and the methods are as easily accessible as salt and light are to you. And they're just as common as everyday leftovers in your fridge. And they are what the reformers call the ordinary means of grace. If you're not familiar with that term, both the London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Westminster Shorter Catechism basically say those ordinary means of grace are the sacraments, prayer, and preaching. That's about as ordinary as it gets, guys. Right? And how accessible are those things? Very, right? But at the same time, as, as ordinary as they are, they mean everything. And please hear me right now. If you are here today and your life is falling apart, those are the only three things that can fix it, right? Prayer, sacrament, and hearing the preaching of the gospel. One author put it like this. He said, if there's a secret ingredient we're missing, it's not found in the latest book or conference, but it's found in faithfulness to the means that God has appointed. So you see, we don't need a constant flow of new ideas. If anything, it's usually the so-called new ideas about faith that are just old heresies in disguise. No, instead what we need is a fresh look at some of the great old but still good stuff that the church has been storing up and just give them another try. And here's how we recognize that. I don't know if you guys know Pastor Ligon Duncan of Reformed Theological Seminary. He said this. He said, if you're looking for that, it looks like a church that stopped running after fads and innovations. And it comes from a place where pastors and leaders can step off the treadmill of chasing new solutions. But that's not all he continues. He said it would be characterized by a love for expository Bible preaching, and by a passion for worship, by the delight in the truth, by the embrace of the gospel, by the Spirit's work of conversion, by a life of godliness, by robust family worship, by biblical evangelism, by biblical discipleship and church membership and mutual accountability, by biblical church leadership and a desire to be a blessing to the nations, along with a joyful celebration of the transcendent sovereignty of the one true triune God in salvation and in all things. And he closes the quote by saying, none of that is easy, but it is clear. Right. So ministry is not rocket science. We don't have to innovate new approaches uh, as much as we just have to stay faithful to the old ones. You see, folks, the truth is that God does extraordinary things through ordinary means, whether it's in the world or in the church or just in the hearts of those he loves and those who love him in return. And that's where the salt and light have to spring from. And as we just heard, it may not be easy, but it is very clear. And it's not complicated. It's not any more complicated than to take those common everyday leftovers out of the fridge and put them to good use instead of just chucking them out. You just have to want to do it. <coughs> and going back to those ladies' magazines I mentioned, I just read an article in one of them this week that, are you ready for this? Americans waste about 2.5 billion tons of food every year. That's more than any other country in the world. It's about 325 pounds of waste per person. And the worst part, at least according to the article, is that 70% of the food we throw away is still edible, which is the equivalent of about 130 billion meals that could have been transformed 
from what the article calls last night's leftovers into tonight's epic feast. And that's a lot of waste for no good reason. But you know, in the same way, now that you know all of this, now that you know all the things we've discussed this morning, it leaves you and me with a choice. The choice is what are we going to do with the command of our Lord to be salt and light over the ordinary means of grace that he's given us? Will we try and find fresh ways to make use of them and ways that do justice to the flavors that God intended for them? Will we continue lovingly, as the old song says, to love the old, old story of Jesus and his love? And will we share it with the enthusiasm of the first generation to receive it? Or will we treat it like yesterday's hash? Will we allow our lives to be seasoned and enlightened so that we can flavor and brighten the families we belong to and the communities that we live in? Or will we choose to rot in the darkness of our own sinful desires and worldly affections? Because, brothers and sisters, the choice is yours. Now, now don't forget, our justification and our election are completely the work of God from beginning to end. But our sanctification is participatory. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Right? Justification and election are the work of God. We don't work for them. But sanctification is participatory. And we are called to work out that salvation with fear and trembling. Not to work for it, but to work it out. And if you are in Christ today, you've got light to shine and you've got salt to use. So don't waste it. Take a big dose for yourself. And then start spreading it around. And don't worry, I promise you, you're not going to run out until the Lord returns. And so Christians start today. And today, if you're not already a professed believer yet, today is still a good day to start. In the name of Jesus, I say to you, repent and believe the gospel. Realize today that you're lost, that you're hopeless in your own efforts and that you need a savior because you cannot possibly save yourself. And then come and see me after about making a confession of faith and being baptized and a public commitment to Christ and the new life in the kingdom that he offers. And listen for the voice of the Spirit together as we pray. God, our Father, I thank you for your love and for your faithfulness. I thank you that uh, you have indeed, Lord, prepared good work, works that you would have us step into and to notice and to do. And so, Lord, I ask that you would guide each of us here this morning to do that. And Father, I ask as well if there's even one among us that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior this morning, that you would surprise them by the power of your presence the reality of your holiness, and you would call them, Lord, to yourself because you promised uh, when your word goes forward, it doesn't return to you in vain, but accomplishes all your purposes for it. And so we thank you, Father, for all that you're about to do this morning in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.